If someone asked you, what's the longest journey you've ever gone on? How would you answer that? What's the longest journey you've ever gone on? Think about that for a second. I thought about that question in preparing for this new series. And uh, there's a lot of ways I could answer that. You know, uh, w- one way could be a literal journey. Alyssa um, and I uh, had the chance to go to Vietnam and Thailand right after we were married. That was a very long journey. Um, we were in planes and airports for like 33 hours to get there. Oh, my days. I started going a little crazy there at the end, a lot of claustrophobia. I remember at one point I said, oh, thank, thankfully the next flight's only eight hours. <laughs> that was a thought I literally had. Uh, now seems completely ridiculous, but that was a pretty long journey. That's, that's just one way to answer it, though. Um, maybe uh, you don't consider it miles. Maybe you just consider the amount of uh, effort it took, you know, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our, our campus director, Adam, took me uh, rock climbing over at OSU, and I love climbing things. I was like, I want to go with you, and so we went, and he, the first one I went up was pretty easy, but I, I was just imagining like what it would be like to climb something like a real rock wall out in the world, and I think there's a really popular documentary right now about a free solo that's like really intense. I haven't watched it yet, but I, but I want to. A few of you have nodded like you've seen it, but you know, maybe maybe that, like, it only happens maybe in a matter of hours or, or day or whatever, it, and you're not even changing, you know, you're not traveling miles, but that could be a long journey. Or maybe it's even something more metaphorical. Maybe it isn't about getting from point A to point B, but it's just this season that you're in. Maybe there was a season of your marriage, right now even, that's just been a really long journey. Maybe it's a season of your college career or where you're at in your life or your work or, you know, your pregnancy or the first two years of raising a child because that's hard. It it is. Um, Maybe it's just for other reasons that you can't even explain. There's a season where you're just like riddled with depression or anxiety and it just has made something seem not just long but like, it doesn't end. When is it going to end? And you know what? In every journey, it almost feels like there's parts of it that are harder than the rest. You know, it's like where you've left the beginning and you can't, you can't go back because you've gone too far, but the, but the end isn't in sight either and you're kind of stuck somewhere in the middle. And it's, oh, this is, there's parts of journeys that just feel like, am I even on a journey? Because I feel like I'm just treading water. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. And I feel like any journey especially flights to Thailand, there's moments like that where you're like, what is going on? I ask you to think, what's the longest journey you've been on? Because I'm guessing that there's like, you've gone on journeys, you've been in seasons of your life, literal or metaphorical, that have been difficult. And I want you to think about that because when we talk about this series, Journey to Jerusalem, We're talking about a journey that is, without apology, not fun. It's going to be a difficult journey. Can you imagine someone asking you to go on a journey, and they start out by saying, hey, friends, you're not going to like this, but will you go anyways? It's one of the best ways to understand Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Jesus... um, you know, his, uh, 
end goal was uh, very clear. Jesus, most of his ministry was in the north, but his story ends in Jerusalem. Um, I have a map for anyone who likes maps. So we've got Jerusalem here. I'm probably blocking it for half of you. My apologies. You've got Jerusalem here, and a, and a lot of the stories we know about Jesus, this is kind of where his story, um, as far as his literal, like, physical life here on earth, kind of ends. And it's, it's the stories about, you know, where he instituted the Lord's Supper. We sat with the disciples and offered them bread and juice. It's where he washes his disciples' feet. It's where he challenged a lot of the Pharisees and chief priests at the temple courts. It's where he goes to the garden alone and prays and sweats blood. And we, we know these stories. You know, it's where he gets put on trial, where he's before Pilate, where he eventually dies on the cross. It's in that area where he rises again. These are some of the biggest stories. They take up a lot of the gospel happen in Jerusalem. That's where his story kind of culminates in Jerusalem. But the reality is that most of Jesus's life wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in the northern part of Nazareth. So um, adjust the map here. And throughout Jesus' three years, and in fact, he grew up in Nazareth, so all the way, like, 30 years of his life, plus three years of ministry, was spent the majority of time in Nazareth, in northern Israel. And, and we know some of the stories around this, too. This is where he walked on the sea. We, just, we, kind of, we sang a song based in that metaphor of walking on, on water. That happened in the northern part. It's where he fed the 5,000. Maybe you're familiar with that story. It's where he called his disciples, where he trained his disciples, where he lived with his disciples. And as we piece the four Gospels together, it's true that he probably went to Jerusalem a couple of times. But the most of his ministry, outside of basically that one week in Jerusalem, one week out of three years, is spent in the northern part. And so, and this is for good reason. There are just certain places where certain messages aren't received well. And Jesus' message would not be received well in Jerusalem. So his ministry was in the north for a reason. It, it would be like, and these are probably terrible, very controversial examples, so get over it, but it would be like going to California to protest you know, protest green energy, or it'd be like going to Montana to protest guns, or it'd be like going to Dearborn, Michigan to protest Islam. Like, not going to be well-received, that kind of message. And that's essentially, Jesus' message that he had to say about the law and what it meant to follow Jesus would be very contentious in Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't a safe place for Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jesus knew that if he went to Jerusalem— especially based on his previous, his, uh, previous experiences in Jerusalem, that he knew that trouble would, would befall him, that it would not go well. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to actually spend some time in Luke. Um, during this whole series, we're going to work through Luke, and we're going to start in chapter 9. So you can pull it out in a, a paper Bible or your digital phone. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, but Luke, starting with chapter 22. Jesus starts, he, he's going to start this journey to Jerusalem, but he knows, he starts with the end in mind. He tells his disciples this. He says, he said, the son of man, he's referring to himself, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He knew what would happen if he went to Jerusalem. Bad things would happen. These are not good things. These are bad things. And he's like, this is what's going to happen if I take my ministry the kind of radical ministry that Jesus did, the kind of things that Jesus said and the people that he would associate with, the people that he had in his proximity, the religious authorities of Jerusalem, the, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and let me just tell you, their temple guards. This was a militarized religion. 
They had their own military of sorts, temple guards. If Jesus went with the type of thing that Jesus had to say, it would get him arrested and killed. He knew that. Have you you ever heard someone say, if I had known how hard it would be, I wouldn't have done it? you familiar with that phrase? If I had known that it would require that much blood, sweat, and tears, I would never have done it. Here's the thing about Jesus. When he went to Jerusalem, he knew. He specifically told his disciples that he would suffer, be rejected, ultimately die, and then rise again. And and I just have to say, out of that list of really great outcomes, the one that I dislike the most... um, Suffering doesn't scare me. I don't like suffering. I don't like physical pain. You know, I don't like it, but I'm not afraid of it. Uh, death, I don't, I'm a little more concerned about it. Now that I have a son, I feel like, you know, there's a certain weightiness to that, but I'm not one to typically be afraid of death. It's not part of my personality. I'll tell you what's part of my personality. I hate rejection. That would be the kicker for me. I don't know which one, if you had to pick between these, which one you would say, I'd rather not have Jesus. But, oh, the idea of people in authority, people well-respected by others reject me to the point of arresting me, oh, that would be bad. So Jesus knows where he's going to go, and, and, and what I want to he starts with the end in mind, but he doesn't go there yet. He doesn't even, in fact, make the decision to go to Jerusalem at this point in the story at Luke 9, 22. Something that happens before, and that's where I want to spend some time today. This one very significant event happens before Jesus says, okay, now I'm going to Jerusalem. He's already articulated what it will be like when he gets there, but he experiences something before he makes the commitment to go to Jerusalem. And I want to spend some time with that story. It happens about one week after he first talks to his disciples um, when he tells them that we're going to be heading to Jerusalem at some point. Um, and uh, it, it's just a few verses from where we're at. It's Luke 9, verse 28. So you can jump ahead to that. It says this. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, what I just referred to, after eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So here's the first thing we see. Jesus does this all the time. It happens twice in this chapter, and it's that when he's faced with, like, difficult life decisions, he carves out time in his life to go and be alone. Sometimes he brings, a lot of times he brings people with him, but he still is getting away from the normal everyday life to process, to hear from God. Friends, this is the thing that blows my mind. I don't do this. Maybe you do, but I don't do this. I, I'm faced with difficult decisions. I'm faced with hard times. And I typically find it very difficult because of my life and my schedule to go and find time alone. But here is Jesus. He is son of God, God in the flesh, and he consistently finds time to go away like he needs it. And if Jesus needs it, how much more do you think we do? You know, I mean... Who do we think we are that we can just like figure it out on our own and just plow through? Anyone else like to just plow through stuff? I'll just, I'll just keep on. I'll just keep moving forward. I think Dory said that. Is that her name? A fish? Swimming. Yeah. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to keep swimming. I'm actually going to stop swimming every once in a while. I'm going to pause. 
I'm going to go away. And that's what he's doing. He's going to go pray. And he brings, he brings um, his disciples with him, and he's praying. So look what happens next verse. He says, as, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. So the reference to Moses, we won't get into it. But his appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So Jesus goes to the mountain to get away, to hear from God, and God shows up, which is great. That's what you hope will, will happen. And, but not just God. It's like Moses and Elijah are there as well. And what are they talking about? They're talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem. It's almost like Jesus is thinking, I have, to, I have to go to Jerusalem and die. That's a big deal. I should probably talk to some of my mentors about this. So he gets a comp, he calls up heaven, which going to a mountain was the ancient religious basic equivalent to calling someone. Um, and he calls up, and then like Moses and Elijah answer, which is a little bit surprising, but okay. And he talks to them, and, and they have this conversation, and they catch up, and they talk about the mission. And you can imagine it, and, and they all agree, as hard as it's going to be, Jesus, you've got to go to Jerusalem. That's where, you're, that's where you're headed now. And all while this is happening, Peter, John, and James are there. And while they should be catching all of it, that's probably why he brought them along so they could catch it. What are they doing? They aren't. Verse 32, I love this. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. I thought that verse, it's like, what are they, toddlers? They were very sleepy? This is a very classic. This happens more than once. Jesus takes them to pray and they fall asleep, which, you know, we've all done fall asleep while praying. Okay, that's what they do. So they miss it. They miss what the whole conversation is. But of course, all of this commotion does in fact wake them up. And so the next verse, but when they became fully awake, so they were like sleepy, half asleep, wake, they, they come aware. They saw his glory and the two men standing with them. Interestingly enough, when they wake up, they, they, they wake up just in time to see what's happening. They wake up to see Moses and Elijah, but they don't hear anything about Jerusalem. They don't hear about the plan. They don't hear, okay, yeah, Jerusalem, that's where you need to head. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to result in your death, but you'll rise again. And you just got to do it, Jesus. That's, that's the plan. Which means they don't have any concept for what's been talked about. So what they do next is based entirely on the fact that they see something, but they don't hear anything. They see God's presence on this mountain and two of their patriarchs, two of these very, very significant leaders in their faith. Now, here's the thing you need to know about mountains in ancient religions. As I alluded to earlier, God showed up and talked to people on mountains. It's where you went if you wanted to hear from God. It's this idea that if you went high enough, you know, you could get closer to the heavens. It was, it was an ancient concept. We know now that God is all places everywhere, but it was this really simple logic. But, but even more than that, I think just going into a mountain, if you've ever been on a, a, a hill overlooking, there's something majestic about it. It kind of, there's like a freeness, a clearing of the soul. So, you, you know, it's what we call a thin place, what, what uh, Celtics might call a thin place where the heaven and earth begin to touch. But God met Moses on a mountain, and he met Elijah on a mountain, which are now both on the mountain, and he met many other leaders on the mountain. So, but when God met people on mountains, those mountains became significant. This is how ancient religion worked. They became holy places, places where you would set up altars and temples where people could go. Because God showed up once, maybe he'll show up again. And so we create this space so that other people might be able to experience the presence of God. And so you'd build stuff on there. That's just how it worked. That was standard. So it shouldn't surprise us what Peter says next, verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, so Elijah, Moses, they're heading out. Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. They're oblivious to the fact that Moses and Elijah are already kind of leaving. Peter wants to do what everyone else would have done. They want to set up camp. They want, they want to make sure that this, they mark this place where God showed up and make sure that it's significant so for generations people could go there and meet God. You know what's interesting about this passage? Mountains were always significant. Mountains were named. Temples were built on mountains. Nowhere in this passage or in any other gospels do we even know what mountain this took place on. It's intentionally left anonymous. You're not supposed to know because that's not what it was about. See, the problem with this idea is that Jesus isn't staying on this mountain. We know from the conversation he had eight days ago with his disciples, and then the conversation they just missed with Elijah and Moses and God is that that they were leaving. They were about to begin a journey to Jerusalem. And so staying and building tents and altars and setting up a memorial is not what's happening here. Here's what I love about this, uh, this idea that Peter has. It's such a terrible idea, no one responds to it. Have, Have you been in a meeting where... A group of people are talking, someone clearly isn't paying attention, and they say something, and the whole room goes quiet because it has nothing to do with what you're talking about, and then after a beat, the meeting continues. That's the story. It's so much, this is what's happening so much that the the narrator had to include a parenthetical to say, this this is what he says, he says, he did not know what he was saying. (laughs) That's in the Bible. Okay, so if, it's like if you're watching a movie with the narrator and the character's like, I've got a really good idea, and then the narrator kicks in, the, the character says, I've got a great idea, and the narrator says, it was in fact not a great idea. <laughs> That's what's happening in this story. So Peter is so confident about this idea as well. Uh, did you hear what he said? He says, Jesus, you are so lucky that I'm here. Oh, Jesus, it is so good that we're here. Have you ever had someone in a group project or in a community or a church where they put off that vibe? Oh, you all are so lucky that you've got me because I will tell you exactly what we should do next. I've been that person. Maybe you have too. In fact, how many of us show up to something that God is doing and we just automatically assume we know what's supposed to happen next? Or is that just me? Oh, I know exactly why I'm here. And you're so lucky to have me a part of this community. Let me get the supplies to build the tent. I'll build this thing for you. And God's like, no, we're not building something. That's not what's happening. Is it possible that sometimes when we think we know exactly what God is up to, and we think we know exactly what we should do next, and we think we have it all figured out, that in, in fact, we've missed the whole conversation? Is that possible? That we don't actually realize that, that we're not even staying here, that it's not about us and it's not about what we're thinking, that we're headed somewhere else for purposes that we couldn't even begin to comprehend, that we think we're going to do something for God, but in reality, God has something he wants to do in us instead. It's one of the best ways to sum up the, my faith life. There are times that I am fairly confident I have figured it out, uh, that I've got it figured out. I'm sure you would never guess that of me. And I know exactly what I should be doing and where I should be going. And you know what? Many times I've missed it. I didn't know what was going to happen. Peter missed it. Don't worry, he'll catch on. 
Um, God will make sure of it. No one responds to Peter. Narrator has to explain that he didn't know what he was talking about, so then God eventually speaks up. It says, while he, referring to Peter, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. You can imagine on a mountain a cloud passing through. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. So God comes in this form of a cloud, and, and he speaks to them on the mountain, and he says, this is my son whom I have chosen. And then, and it's almost like if God had glasses, he pulls them down, and he looks at Peter, listen to him, you know? Peter, James, John, listen to him. You've, you've, you weren't listening. That's why you had a terrible idea. If you want to get it right, you've got to listen. And not just listen, there's a connotation of obedience here. Do what he says, Here's the point of this encounter. Jesus was visited by God, uh, Moses, and Elijah, and not by accident. You see, Moses, Moses was more than just this leader in their faith. Moses represented the law. Moses was this picture, this metaphor for what the law was. The law came to Moses and given to the people. Moses represents like all, like the most of the Old Testament and God's commands for life. And Elijah wasn't by accident either. Elijah was a prophet, a very significant prophet, prophet in the ancient world. And so he represents the prophets. And, and it was common to refer to Scripture and the authority of the Old Testament as what? The law and the prophets. Jesus does it himself. He says, this sums up the law and the prophets. That phrase referencing an entire collection of writings. And so essentially Jesus is, not only does God show up, but the law and the prophets are there as well. All of the authority of God, all of the authority of Scripture are being placed on Jesus when God says, listen to him. Jesus in this moment becomes the ultimate authority in our faith. This moment, Jesus could not have better references. You know, he has extremely significant endorsements in this moment. And so the question becomes, what exactly is Jesus telling his disciples to do that would require this kind of endorsement? This kind of reference, this kind of authority. What kind of command? How difficult could it be? How strange or peculiar could it be that it would require the disciples to see Moses and Elijah and God show up on the mountain simply to say, do what Jesus says? Here's the good news. We don't have to guess. It's in the passage right before this event. Jump back to verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the Holy Angels. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem. But that's not the only thing he's saying here. He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And hey, disciples, I want you to come to Jerusalem too. And we're like, to suffer? And Jesus is like, yeah. And we're like, really? And Moses chimes in, yeah. But are you sure? And Elijah speaks up, yeah, we're sure. But 
but that doesn't seem like a very good idea. Surely God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable or to sacrifice my life. You promised abundant life, Jesus. You're supposed to make my life better and happier. And, and, but sacrifice and crosses and suffering and persecution, surely that there's been a misunderstanding. And then God shows up in the cloud and he says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Had I known what it would cost, I wouldn't have gone. Friends, when choosing to follow Jesus, you should know exactly what it costs. Jesus doesn't try to hide it. I do. If I'm recruiting a volunteer, I'll make it sound a lot better than it is. I do. Or, if you know, just being honest with you. Not Jesus. He says, it's going to cost you everything. Really? Yeah. It's going to cost you everything. We know what Jerusalem holds for us, which is almost poetic because in the ancient Jewish faith, they had songs of celebration going to Jerusalem. There's multiple songs in the book of Psalms about, they're called the Ascent Psalms, and they're songs that they would sing celebrating, we're finally going to Jerusalem and to celebrate a feast. But in this context, Jerusalem is not the place they want to go because they know that it's going to require suffering, rejection, even betrayal and death. But that's not all. Jesus also says that in Jerusalem, in three days, he will rise again. It's after he dies that he rises again. You see, the final destination in this whole Jerusalem metaphor isn't death, it's life, resurrection life. The end of the journey is the abundant life that Jesus does promise, but suffering and rejection and betrayal and pain, those are just necessary stops along the way. If you want resurrection life, you have to die. In fact, I wonder, have you missed out on the life that God wants for you because you've been unwilling to go through the hard stuff it takes to get there? Once I was sitting down with a counselor, and she said, uh, you need to know that when you go to therapy, it tends to get worse before it gets better. And that people sometimes go to therapy hoping that it'll just immediately make them feel better when in reality it makes them feel horrible. The goal isn't to make you feel horrible or to make it worse. But that's just life. You want the abundant life? You've got to go through the hard stuff. You avoid it, there's not going to be an abundant life. Joy is on the other side of obedience. You can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. As we start our journey to Easter, this is where we find Jesus. He knows all of this. He knows what it would cost, and he makes a commitment. And just a few verses ahead in Luke 9, 51, he says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another translation says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Another says he set his face to Jerusalem. The Greek here literally means that his face was set, almost restrained, so that he could only look towards Jerusalem. That's how determined he was to go to Jerusalem. He made a decision, even though he knew all, everything that he heard, everything that he knew, he, he said, the cost isn't going to stop me. So here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to make a similar decision? Will you commit to going to Jerusalem with us? 
as a community? Will you say today, I'm in? I, I know that, that whatever God has for us might involve some difficult things. It might involve difficult conversations in my life or in the life of our church, in the life of a small group. But, but it, and you know what? And maybe people will reject me along the way, or maybe someone who I'm close to might betray me, or, or maybe I'll end up getting, I don't know what, but it's, it might not go well. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll be super easy. I don't know, but there's real risk involved. And are you willing to say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm in. I'm not stopping at Good Friday. I'm going all the way to Easter. Anyone here ready to say that? I'd like to just create some space for you to be able to, in whatever way makes sense for you. No pressure here. Very. This is about you, our community, and, and what God might be doing in your heart. And I don't know what that is. But I do have up here um, some wooden crosses so you can literally come and pick up a cross and follow Jesus. Got a few smiles out of that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, we're going to invite the band to come up. I'm just going to play some music, and we're going to do our closing song. This won't take long. But if you want to come forward, I, I will hand you a cross and actually give you a blessing. It'll be very simple. It'll simply say, deny yourself pick up a cross, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Just, you know, as simple as that, as a blessing and a prayer over your life. If this is something that would be meaningful to you as we continue to commit our lives to what God is doing. I'm going to invite you to do that. I will say that I've got, I think I have enough wooden crosses for every person in the room, so all of you want to do it, it'd be great. But if not, I have some backup paper ones, so Uh, it's okay. Um, A couple of other ways you can respond uh, before we do this. First off, you have a handout. It's a very long, skinny one. It has some questions that I think if you read them, I don't have to go through it. They make sense if you've listened to the sermon. Um, Just reflection questions about the journey that you might be on with God, about fear that you're wrestling with or suffering that you're avoiding or rejection, whose rejection do you fear? And then also space to journal a little bit on like where you hope to head. What does the abundant life look like for you? And just, just as a response, on the back side of that is daily readings. And I'm just going to invite you to spend some time, uh, spend some time uh, reading through from this point in Luke all the way to the end of Luke between now um, and Easter. And we're going to do something a little different. Uh, it will be on our website, the scripture readings. But then there's also going to be uh, just a really simple five to six minute a daily podcast. So if you've like, I've never really gotten into daily devotions, but I like to listen to podcasts. I, we, I'm putting this together specifically for you, but it's open to anyone. We're just going to read a, a part of the, the daily reading and, and I'll share some really brief thoughts. It creates some space for you to pray. And you can listen to it six minutes max. Um, you can listen to it on your way to work. And it could just be another way for you to, to connect with God as we journey between now and Easter. So I'm going to pray. I'll be up here. We'll spend some time with music before we jump into the closing song, and you can come forward if you'd like that blessing and to have a cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your example and for even your teaching when it is tough. Work in our hearts. Inspire us. Challenge us. Draw us close and give us the courage and strength to carry on. In your name, amen. If you'd like, you can come forward when you when you when you feel ready